We are not the frozen chosen. Amen? <laughs> you have to get a little rowdy in here this morning. The Cowboys do not play till 12 o'clock. I promise you, I will have you out before that. And in my first closing. Amen. <laughs> All right, say preach it, Pastor Matt. Preach it. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want a couple of housekeeping duties, a couple of things that, uh, by the way, if you have your phones, please make sure they are off on airplane mode, on vibrate, whatever you got to do to make sure they don't buzz out loud because we don't care about your text. So, um, anyway, it wouldn't be terrible to distract someone hearing from God because of your crazy phone. Amen. So if your neighbor hasn't yet, make sure they reach in their purse, their pocket and pull out their phone and turn that sucker on silent, whatever you got to do. Or our ushers in the name of Jesus will come and bless you. Amen. Esther chapter 2, as you're turning there, everyone say, next week, next week, I want to eat. All right. Next week, we have our annual table message and table dinner. For those that have been attending here the last few years or over a while, we've we've just kind of a new tradition. We started the last three or four years. And uh, so when you come next week, there will be tables set up all through the sanctuary. And uh, we'll still have worship. We'll still have like a normal service, if you will, whatever normal means. And... Um, but after that, um, we're gonna uh, we'll, we'll have Charlie Brown showing for all the kids, and we're gonna have a big, big meal together. And we want you, everybody, say he's talking to you. We want you to bring a friend, bring a family member, bring your boss, bring your coworker, someone that does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and so we have a special uh, special message planned for that day, special things planned for that day. You won't want to miss it. Trust me. And um, one of, to me, one of the favorite things outside of probably like Easter and our Christmas Eve service that we do around here. And so it'll be a great time, but I need you to do a couple of things. All right. So get your memory ready, get your pen ready, your, your phones out already. If you need to make a note on there, we need you out in the lobby to sign up to bring something to that meal. All right. So just like you would at your own Thanksgiving meal, you would bring a dish. So, and and don't bring the, 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 the stuff that, you know, you'd make for your enemy, bring the stuff that your grandma would make for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want anything healthy. We want all the cheese on cheese and, like, white starches and car. I mean, it's Thanksgiving, right? I mean, uh, you know, I work out all year. I do all that all year so I can eat like I want at Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, but in all seriousness, we want you to bring food. So there's a sign-up list that, that's categorized that you can sign up at for, for desserts if you want to sign up for sides or uh, vegetables or not vegetables, but anything, anything else, meat especially, whatever. If you want to bring a turkey or ham or whatever it is, it's out in the lobby. So please don't forget to do that today. If you have any questions, man, reach out to someone on staff, call the church, and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Amen? All right. So if you have your uh, Bibles open or your phones, you can certainly open the Bible app. If you haven't already, you can uh, go onto Facebook. Be sure to check in so all the robbers know where you're at. You're at church so they can break into your house, whatever they're going to do. Anyway, so be sure to check in. We want your friends and family to know that you worship God. Amen? Hey, you know what? If you haven't already, I'm being serious on this. If you haven't already, go to our Facebook page, your Crossroads page, and like it. We're so close to 1,000 likes. We're like right there. Like, So be sure to like it. If you haven't, Rate it five stars. Man, Pastor Matt is the best pastor in the world. I'll help you out. And um, be sure to like it. Esther chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start reading on the message version. 
and we are going to start with uh, chapter 2, verse 19. There it is. And we're reading the Word of God together on one of the occasions. So there were many times that this happened. Everyone say many times. So of those many times, on one of those occasions, when the virgins were being gathered together, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, and all this time... Esther had kept her family background and race a secret as her uncle had told her to do or as he ordered her to do. And Esther still did what Mordecai told her, just as she did when she was raised by him. And on this day, when Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithana and Teresh. Wait a second. I'm just saying, if you're naming your kids something, Bithana. Man, I could go so many different directions with that. But Bigthana, <laughs> Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, had it in. I mean, I guess you got to be miserable anyways if that's your name. So, of course, they were miserable. And they had it in for the king, and they made a plot. And I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing really quick to get us through chapter 2. And uh, you can go ahead and go to chapter 3, verse 1. Um, but as we're turning there, basically, they, they didn't like the king. They made a plot. We're going to kill him. Mordecai heard it. Mordecai went to Esther and said, you better tell the king that these two guys, one's named Bigthana and and, and uh what are the other guy's name was? I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> so, um, Teresh. And so you better tell the king. And, of course, you can remember those names, right? You don't have to write those down. So the, the plot was foiled. And, and here we are in chapter 3, verse 1. So sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman and uh, made him the top official, only really second to the king in all the land. And, and everyone had to bow down to him in verse 2. Except Mordecai. Mordecai went and do it. And he wouldn't bow down and kneel. Sounds real familiar like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king's servant at the king's gate asked Mordecai about it. He says, why do you cross the king's command? He says, day after day, they talked to him about this. Hint, hint, hint. So when Haman went to see whether, he went to the king to see if something shouldn't be done about this. And, uh, and look at that last part. Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Wait a second. He tells Esther, shut up, don't tell him you're a Jew, but I'm going to say I'm a Jew. Whatever. And so when Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow down and kneel before him, he was, what does it say? Everyone say it out loud. He was outraged. So meanwhile, learning that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman uh, hated to waste his fury on just one Jew. So he looked for a way to kill them all. Uh, in verse 7, this is important. In the first month, the month of Nisan, the 12th year of Xerxes, Purim, so that's celebrated today, a lot was cast under Haman's charge to determine what should happen to them. Verse 8, Haman then spoke with King Xerxes. There's an odd set of people scattered out. And I'm, I'm jumping through here. He says, worse, they disregard the king's laws. They're an, an affront. The king shouldn't put up with them. If it pleased the king, let's... Give me orders. And look what he says. He says, I'll pay it for my, myself. I'll deposit 375 tons of silver. Somebody says a lot of silver. 375 tons of silver in, in the bank's finance of the operation. And uh, the king put his ring on it. He sealed it. Verse 11, he says, go ahead. The king said, it's your money. Do whatever you want with those people. In verse 12, 
they brought all of his commands and, and, and they sealed it and they wrote it in every language for every person. In verse 13, he says, bulletins were sent out by cur- couriers and orders to massacre, kill, and eliminate all the Jews. Hitler wasn't the first, amen? And it's been going on for, for, for centuries and, and all of them, everybody, young, old, men, women, babies, kids, it didn't matter. We're going to murder them all. In verse 15, at the king's command, the couriers took off uh, the order was also posted in all the places. And it says that the last, the king and Haman, they sat back and they had a drink. And while the city of Susa reeled from the news. Let's pray. God, I just thank you again for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, this opportunity to worship you, this opportunity to glorify you. I pray that you, as it's, your word says in Hebrew that, that uh, your word would be as a double-edged sword piercing in the innermost parts of us, rightly dividing the word of truth. Thank you today. Lord, as water would carve through rocks and form a canyon, I pray, Holy Spirit, your, God's word would do that in us today. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. And God's people said, amen. So, but can we just give God a praise today? Can we put our hands together for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Come on, somebody. Let's just praise God. We don't need instruments to praise God. Amen. Let's put our hands together and somebody just shout, thank you, Lord. If he's been good to you, somebody shall thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, there's something important about praising God. Amen. Look at your neighbor say, it's a big deal. Look at your other neighbor say, it's a big deal. There's something important about praising God and not just praising God in church with instruments when you're near your BFF, your bestie or your husband or your wife, and hopefully that's who that is, um, or your friend or you're by yourself or whatever it looks like. But there's something powerful about praising God when you're locked up in a jail cell and you still find a way to give God praise. Amen. You know, when, he, when the world has crashed in around you and you still find a way to give God praise. Can we give God just another shout or praise or something today in this place? Because he's worthy. Amen. There's something powerful. Something powerful about it. Paul and Silas were locked up in a jail cell. And one of them started something that started a riot that started an earthquake. Let me tell you something. The devil knows, and I said this last week, if what's inside of you ever got out to your mouth, you know how you feel inside sometimes in church? You're like, man, I don't want to jump because, man, I, I know they jump in this church, but man, I don't know if I want to jump. It's a little embarrassing. Boy, I want to raise my hands. I don't want to shout, but, but I, I don't want to disturb anyone. But, but I just want to encourage you. If, if, God is, if God ever comes all over you and you realize that you've been set free from your sins and you feel like shouting, it's okay to shout. Amen? And so the devil knows that, 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 that what's inside of you, that you feel emotionally about God often, if it ever comes out of your mouth, it has the power to liberate you. Amen? So it's important. Praise is part of the process. Somebody say praise is part of the process. Look at your neighbor and say praise is part of the process. Somebody say praise is part of the process. We're going to say it together a little louder so everybody that listens at the podcast later can hear your voice and not just mine. Ready? Praise is part of the process. 
praise is part of the process. And there's nothing more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than a believer who praises when things are difficult. It is easy to sit up in church and praise God on a Sunday when you're dressed to the tilt, right? Right, And when you're dressed all out and, and things are on point. I had a guy, no kidding, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with the family in church. We were at lunch, and the waiter came by and he said, Brother, your beard is on fleek. And I was like, what? Is that a compliment? Is he, is that a, I'm confused. No joke. My daughter's in school, but I texted her and he was like, hey, what does this mean? She texted me back quickly. She's like, oh, it's a compliment. I was like, yes. You know, I was like, wait, come on, dude. It's a lot more fleek, man. You, know? you come into church, your outfit's on fleek. <laughs> your praise is on point. There's something about worshiping God when life is hard. When I don't see the answer, when I don't know where the answer is coming from, it's hard to praise God when he's silent and I don't hear him. It's hard to praise God when life is difficult. So what do we do when life is difficult? Do we back down and do we shrink? Do we withdraw into ourselves? Do we find a corner and hide out? Do we withdraw from society and our family and we find a place to, to get alone and we, we, we allow our emotions to be as an umbrella over us and then before we know it, uh, the depression becomes an oppression, right? You're not just depressed, but you're oppressed But now and, and an emo- that something that was just a simple emotion has now become a, a way in which you live and operate. And, and you shrink in and you withdraw to yourself or you the type of person that when you're hard pressed on every side and you feel like the enemy's got you in a vice this way and you're like, oh yeah, put me in a vice this way. I'm getting thinner. Go ahead and vice me this way too while you're at a devil. And you're like, but you know what I'm saying? You're putting a vice on your sides and, and you feel like a vice and he's cranking you on my workbench. I've got a vice and I can put on that vice. And if I crank it hard enough, I can crush just about anything that I put in its jaws. Are you with me today, church? Or are you the type of believer that when you feel like you're placed in a vice and you're hard pressed, as the word of God says, we are hard pressed on every side. I'm crushed. I'm crushed. I'm hard-pressed, is Paul talking, on every side, and I'm crushed, but I'm not abandoned. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not abandoned. What do we do when life is difficult? Think about the people in, in France right now, the people in Paris. What do we do when life is difficult? What do you do when you lose someone close to you to death? You really don't lose them if they're a believer. They gain something. What do we do when someone who's close to us leaves this life and passes on to eternity? What do we do when life is difficult? What do you do when you've had a miscarriage and you've been praying for a child for so many years? What do you do? What do you do when you tithe and you serve God in the local church and you lose your job and your income is taken from you? What do you do when you're fighting for your marriage and no matter how hard you fight or you fast or you pray, you attend conference, you read a book, you go to a counselor, but you feel as if your marriage is just slipping through your fingertips and you're, you're losing hold of the very thing that you thought you had control over. And I wonder if God is saying you're not in control at all. But what do we do, church, when life is difficult? 
Here's our common denominator today. Regardless if we're white or we're black or we're Hispanic, regardless of what color we are, regardless of the amount of our income and the zeros on our paycheck, regardless of the things that we can put after our name or the degree hanging on our wall, regardless of all of those things, our common denominator in this life is that either we have or we are or we're about to face something that is bigger than us. That is what we have in common. We can drive whatever car we want to drive to church. We can wear whatever we want to wear to church. But our common denominator, the person that you sit to is, has, or will be walking through a difficult situation in life. And my question to every person within the sound of my voice and those that will watch here later on the podcast is, what do you do when things become hard? Can I challenge you? Not to be the type of person that shrinks and withdraws. Not to be the type of person that falls within themselves and you find a corner to hide and and depression turns into oppression. And you're stumbling over yourself and your thoughts overrule you and your thoughts rule what you do and your emotions have gotten and seized the best of you. But church, can we be the type of believers that when life gets hard, we turn to the place, the one person that we should have turned to all along. And we submit ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we say, God, I know it's not me that's in charge of my life, but it is you. And we submit to God, give God a praise in this place. What do we do when things are bigger than us? When things are harder than us? Let's turn to the God that moves mountains. Amen? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I know a mountain mover. Look at your other neighbor and say, you got a mountain need to be moved? I know a mountain mover. Somebody shout, I know a mountain mover. Say, I know a mountain mover. Say, I know someone who moves mountains. David says, Lord, that the mountains would melt like wax before you. Can you give God a praise that you serve a mountain mover? And no matter what is standing in your way, you serve a mountain mover. Give God a praise because I believe that as you sit here right now, he's busy moving mountains for you. If God has moved some mountains, can you give God a shout today? Hallelujah. He's a mountain mover. He's an obstacle destroyer. That's what he does. He moves mountains for you. And you are important enough, Aaron, for him to move some mountains for you. Holly, he can move some mountains. Not me. I'm not sure thinking about me. But he can move some mountains for you. Brother Steve, he can move some mountains for you. Karen, he's moved some mountains for you. Megan, he's moved some mountains for you. Carlton, he's moved some mountains for you. Some of you are like, can he remember my name? <laughs> you have me time. I probably know just about everybody's name in here. Amen. Sarah, he's moved some mountains for you. If you're here today, you're bold enough, you're brave enough. Before I start preaching, amen. I'm just kidding. With your hand, you say, Pastor Matt, there's a mountain standing in my way right now. This very moment as I sit here. Anybody brave enough? Thank you. Leave it up. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be afraid. The devil wants you to say, sit there with your hand down because that mountain's going to be. No, no, no. Who needs a mountain? Can we just stop and pray right now with your hands up? Father, these are your people. They're your children. 
This is not my church. This is your stuff. This is your house. And these are your people. You have bought them with the price. They are not their own. They have been redeemed and ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So I speak with the authority that you have given me as a shepherd over your flock. We rebuke the mountains that stand in their way. May they be cast into the sea. Melt like wax before you in the presence of the Lord. That when they leave here today, a phone will ring. A letter will come in the mail. A friend will call to say that God is moving on their behalf. A sign will follow them this week as their faith arises. May their enemies be scattered. We declare every mountain be moved today in the name of Jesus Christ. Give God a praise today. We serve a mountain mover. All right, well, let's look at our text today, shall we? Amen. In my second closing. What do we do, seriously, though, when life seems difficult? What do we do? What, what, where do we turn? Where do we go? Because our common denominator is that life seems, life can often seem difficult. Life can seem difficult. I wanted to do some, have some fun today. Let's put our first, first thing on the screen here today. I think it's an equation we have. All right, leave that up there. Don't give them the answer yet. If you know the answer, please don't shout it out. <laughs> you're all laughing because you're like, what? <laughs> Is that English? I mean, what is that? This is a math equation. Let's let's put the answer up there. It is the theory of relativity that Einstein came up with. You ever told someone or heard someone say, you're no Einstein? (laughs) I'm no Einstein. The theory of relativity. Let's put that back up there. The, the, The image, please. There we go. That makes my brain hurt when I look at that. Like, really? Like, math was never my strong suit? There we go. <laughs> All right, let's put, leave that music playing. Let's put the next one up there. That next equation. All right. Okay, four numbers. The, the sum of these four numbers is what? 31. Only one number is odd. The highest number minus the lowest number is 7. If you subtract... The two middle numbers, you get two, and there are no duplicate numbers. Some of you are like, I did not come to church for this. Please. Can you imagine if they're listening, listening on the podcast right now? <laughs> they're gonna... All right, well, let's put the answer up there real quick, just because we're going to have some fun. 12865. All right, so that's not in the Bible app, but if you want, we'll put that in there later so you can uh, have some fun with your friends this week. All right. We can wrap that up. Difficult. There are difficult problems in life. There are difficult problems. My daughter's a freshman, and as she gets older, I can only imagine the math is going to get harder. And I'm saying to myself, I graduated, so I never had to fool with this stuff again. There are always difficult problems. Always difficult problems. But guess what, church? None of those problems, none of your problems are too big for the God of the universe, for the architect of creation. My goodness, if he can think up all this stuff, if that we are held together, this church is standing simply because he is making it stand. That I can't cause myself to breathe one breath without him. If he decides at any moment, my breath could be gone. You you too. That we're here because of his grace and his mercy. And whatever mountain, whatever problem we face today, 
Our God is bigger than that. Amen? Somebody shout amen. Life can always be difficult. You know, I was thinking about Esther. I was thinking about this difficult situation. We talked last week about some of the elephants in the room in that this book of the Bible, as God's never mentioned one time. No one ever prays to God. But God's fingerprints, certainly. We talked about God's fingerprints being all over our life and these fingerprints that, that cover our lives. I want to refer to this as the ambiguity of the Bible. The Bible at many times can appear ambiguous, that our life can be ambiguous. Now, if you're wondering what that means, I'm glad you asked. It's doubtful or uncertain. It's open to more than one interpretation or having a double meaning. Let me say that again. Does this ever sound like your life or your situations? There's, you're doubtful or uncertain. You're, you're open to more than, it, there's like, there, maybe it's more than one interpretation, right? It's, uh, it, it could have a double meaning. And sometimes God's work can seem ambiguous at times. Like, how can this book of the Bible be in the Bible when God's not mentioned? And the Bible's all about God. Amen? Or, or, or how can this book be in the Bible and God himself is never mentioned or ever referenced? And yet it's here for us. You ever felt like in your life you're just, you know, we talked about this, you're just out of place? You know, you just, you're just existing, you're just taking up space that you're... Am I really here for a purpose? Do I really matter? Do I really count? And what am I, you know, am, am what I, am I doing? Does it matter? Let me ask you this. Is anyone brave enough to raise their hand that you've prayed or you've, excuse me, you've said this before in response to praying? I feel as if my prayers aren't going past the ceiling. Has anyone ever said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of hands. I've said that before. The more I thought about that, the more I thought about that, my prayers don't go past the ceiling. We have a high pitch in this. I've been up to the top of that, by the way, several times, more than I care to remember. My prayers don't go for the ceiling. But when you think about construction or you think just about a ceiling, in order for us to have a ceiling, we have to have walls. The ceiling doesn't exist without these walls. These walls don't exist without a floor, without a foundation, without a base. And so if I have a ceiling... And if I have walls, and if I have a floor, I have a box. And it seems like so many of us as believers, we're in this box, and we put God in this box with us, because we're saying, my prayers don't get past the ceiling, as if somehow the ceiling is really going to stop our prayer from getting to God. Doesn't that sound like something the devil would say? Doesn't that sound like something he would whisper in your ear for you to repeat out loud, for your mind to hear, to swallow into your heart and your soul? If you have a ceiling and you have walls and you have a floor, ultimately, church, you have a box. Look at your neighbor and say, knock the box over. Look at your other neighbor and say it with some conviction, knock the box over. I think we need to be knocking some boxes over in our life today. I think there's some things that we've confined ourselves to that we're much more capable of. I think there's some things we've confined God to that he's much more capable of. And if your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling, I would encourage you to blow the ceiling off the thing. Blow the roof off of it. Amen? The roof. The roof. Okay. So here's Esther. Between chapter 2 and chapter 3, I want you to take a note, so I want you to write this down. It's in the Bible app, you're looking at that. 
between Esther chapter 2 and Esther chapter 3, five years pass. Somebody say five years. Five years pass. They're unaccounted for. It doesn't tell us what happened. There's a pause. There's a break. There's a, there's a leap over these five years. We don't know what happened. We are left to assume, though, for those period of five years that she has gone before a pagan king, most likely slept with a pagan king, if at minimum at least once a year, if not more, because we know that he, she pleased him more than the, any other. So it's often possible that he called for her more. So for five years, she was, if you will, stuck in a rut, stuck in a routine, stuck in a place that may be so unfamiliar to, who, to her or possibly came familiar to her. We, we led off this morning that I think we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And here's this period of five years. This, this is when I talk about the being in, having this ambiguity. This is what I'm referring to that. This idea that, that we have this truth of God, so we live in this world, but we're not of this world. And, and, and that is another common denominator that, sh- that we all share is that we're all working in this world, we're shopping in this world, we're living in this world, and, but, but constantly the fight is not trying to be of this world. So look at your neighbor and say, you're not of this world. Some of you already knew that about the person you were sitting next to anyways. Like, you know what, Pastor Matt, that was just confirmation. I asked for confirmation. You just gave it. And so something that Esther and Mordecai and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the disciples and, and, and from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. By the way, Testament, the word really means covenant. So from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, all mixed in here together. If we don't take anything else away, can you possibly take this away? That serving Jesus Christ comes with a price. It, there's a price to be paid. Following God, it comes with a price. If you want to be a Christ follower, it's going to cost you something. So look at your neighbor and say, get out your emotional wallet. Because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. But what you spend and invest in return, your reward is greater than you can ever imagine, church. But it will cost you something. And if you signed up for this gig thinking that God was going to serve you like a butler... You got it wrong. If you thought he was going to be your maid and follow you wherever you went and just sweep up your mess just because you're bought with a price, sir or ma'am, you got it wrong. Serving God means there's going to be times where he is silent. And you're going to have to chew for years or decades or months or days simply on the last word that you heard him speak to you. But give me a Christ follower who says, you know what? If he never says another word to me, I'll be just fine. Because the last word was so transforming, so amazing, so life-shifting, changed my paradigm, that if he never says another word, I'll be just fine. Give God a praise. Because following God, sir, or ma'am, teenager, comes with a price. And if today God remains silent... I'll follow him anyways. And so often the question that we ask is, what do we do when God is silent? When the real question is, what does God do when we're silent? I've heard this as a pastor many, many times. Pastor Matt, I don't think God is listening. I feel like God is silent. My question to them is, then what does God do when we're silent? 
Because the truth is, you, me, all of us, whether I'm on a stage or I'm off a stage, there are moments in my life where I don't talk to him. Does that mean when I'm silent and there's no relationship on my end? Does that mean when I'm silent and I'm not communicating? Does that mean that he stops being God? No. So the question really, church, is not what do we do when God is silent? The real question is what does God do when we're silent? When we're not worshiping, when we're not praying, when we're not communicating with him through his word, when we're not sharing the gospel, what does God do when we're silent? I'll tell you what he does. He stays the same. He remains on course. He doesn't change. Whether you serve him or not, he's still God. Whether you love him back, he's still going to love you. Are you with me today, church? So the question you need to be asking yourself is, what does God do when I'm silent? When I am his most beautiful creation and the one thing that he wants to worship him is not the wind and it's not the waves. It's not the brussel of the trees as the wind blows through it. It's not the grass as it grows and it's not the deer that we want to shoot and make jerky with. It's none of those things. The thing that God wants to hear most church is us lifting up our hands and our voices and singing and worshiping and praising him. And as I started off this morning, the genesis with our message is that the greatest thing that we can do is to praise God when things are difficult. And here we find Esther and Mordecai continuing to serve God when things are difficult. Even when you're threatened with your very life, say, I'm going to stick the course. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to continue to raise my kids in a godly home. Amen. I'm going to continue to pray over my spouse, whether they love me or give me my needs that I need back or not. Are you with me today, church? I'm going to go to work. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be early. I'm going to be productive, whether I get the raise, the promotion that I think I deserve. Are you hearing my heart today, church? God sometimes isn't calling you to do more. He's just saying, do what you got in front of you now if you'll do that i'll bless you with more but you struggle with what i've got on your plate now why on earth would i give you more life is always difficult there's something always bigger than us there's always a mountain fill in the blank today the ambiguous the bible can always be ambiguous we read it and we're like huh it can be like that math problem it, it, it doesn't matter but we serve a redeeming god we serve a god that redeems us that gives us second chances that gives us fresh wind in our cells amen We serve a God that that's just who he is, and that's just what he does. It's who he is, and it's what he does. Say it out loud with me. It's who he is, and it's what he does. Say it again. It's just who he is, and it's just what he does. Say it again. It's who he is, and it's what he does. One more time so it gets from your mouth into your heart and your emotions where everything is buried right now. Say, it's who he is, and it's what he does. Can you give God a praise in this place? Let's stand to our feet.
thank you for today. We thank you for this moment. Lord, we're just thinking of what you've done today. We rejoice that you're a good God. You've done good things. Lord, we declare as we prayed earlier on today during your teaching that you're moving mountains. And we're not going to believe doubt any longer. Fear doesn't reside in our heart any longer. There's no more room for doubt or disappointment. But we make room for faith. And we make room for courage. And we make room for strength in our life. And when we hear a report from a doctor or from the world or from anyone else, we're going to choose to believe the report of the Lord. That your word is yes and amen. That your promises are true and correct. And as Isaiah 55 declares, Lord, that your word will accomplish what it was sent to do. It will be successful in what it was sent to do. As it goes from your mouth, thank you, Lord. We declare it to be so today. Give God a praise today in this place. Hallelujah. We've enjoyed worshiping with you. A couple of things. Don't forget to sign.